What's up, fight fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, September 18th, 2023, and this week's episode, Noche Empate. We'll talk about Noche UFC and the rematch between Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news. UFC officially joins WWE under the TKO banner and what that might mean for the future. The return of Kayla Harrison in the PF- at the PFL Championships. Bellator announcing a surprise 301st event in Chicago for this November. And we'll cap it off by talking about this coming Saturday's UFC main event. The lightweight bout between Rafael Fiziev and Mateusz Gamrot. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez and you're joined with my co-host Natalie Zamudio. Buenos dias, Double G. How was <laughs> How was your time in Vegas for this very special noche? Muy, UFC. Muy bien. If people follow me, they know I was very busy, but it was a good time. Did contender series, did obviously everything UFC. Uh Enjoyed a bit of Vegas, which I don't normally have time for because there's usually so much extra stuff besides fight week stuff. So it was nice. What about you? How's vacation? Oh, yeah, that was good. That was good. Lots of uh, travel time in the car. It was a road trip, road trip to explore our beautiful Golden State. Um, But yeah, I'm happy to be back. And um, I have a question for you, though. Everyone kept saying on the commentary that Noche UFC felt like a pay-per-view. Did it feel that way when you were there, for you in there? Ironically, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to say yes now. uh, So I have a little bit of bias. So, for example, I've never been to T-Mobile and it's not a pay-per-view event. So when you get there and there's a title fight and the lights are on and the fans are happy and excited, everything always feels like a pay-per-view event, right? Yeah. That being said... um, I will say, I knew going in the card, look, there was a lot of excitement to see the Mexicans and Mexican-Americans and just Latin American fighters do well. I would, uh, I don't think I'm breaking news by saying going in, I can't say that compared to other T-Mobile events where you had like Connor O'Malley, Drakus and this uh, like stack lineup that going in, I was like, oh, yeah, this card definitely is like that, you know, like name value wise right. for a T-Mobile. I know that ticket sales, um, at least prior to it, I, I, quite bluntly, the John Jones fight was gangbusters, an expensive ticket. Mm-hmm. I know that this past Saturday was not. And so, you know, there were a few clues, but... You know, when I got out there and people were excited and we were under the bright lights and the arena was actually pretty full by the time we got to the main event, I was like, you know, no, this is, you know, this does feel like a big night. So, yeah, I I will say it did feel like a pay-per-view. I think that had it started turning into a dud, I'd probably have felt different. But no, Saturday definitely did feel like a big event for sure. Right on. All right. Awesome. I mean, let's talk. I mean, let's cap it off with the main event then. So obviously, the rematch, Alexa Valentina. Um, I can tell you right now, Valentina all week intensity. I've covered several Valentina fights. Never seen her so freaking John Wick mode. Dude, was... she was dressed like Fidel Castro. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, no, but I, I gotta say, I feel like she actually has dressed like that a bunch. It's just that. <laughs> with the hey, the attitude makes the difference, right? Yeah, right, yeah. She's not just in the hat, she's not just in the camo UFC kit, which a bunch of people wear. Uh-huh. But you match it with her attitude and who she is, and suddenly it was a whole thing. But yeah, she was just you know, you could tell she was in kill mode all week. Alexa, I think, was very it was like she had kind of grown into herself as champion all week. This is my event. I'm the champ. I've done it before, et cetera, et cetera. There was a combination of all of that. And with the fight, and we'll get to the how did you score it at the end. Very competitive. Um, First round, feeling out process, but it looks like Valentina is getting it going. And then second round, obviously, Alexa just 
catches her perfectly coming in, uh, you know, does the whole, uh, you know, back, not backflip, but, you know, just tumble backwards and everything, lands some great knees. Uh, Third round, Valentina responds, gets the better of the exchanges, gets her on the ground, starts working her with submissions and everything. Round four, this is where we have to start asking questions, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Alexa, Valentina, close round. Both of them, I felt, <laughs> either conserving energy or, you know, big fight, big moment. I, you know, they had great output where they may be slowing down a little bit. I don't know, but I felt like that one was one of those rounds that was really up in the air. And then round five, and we'll get into this in a minute, but Valentina seems to be, you know cruising to taking for sure what would have been at least her third victorious round possibly fourth depending on your scorecard yep and then alexa just catches her in a bad moment and then it was just high drama starts landing some ground to pound that let's be real some other refs might have called it mm-hmm. and then goes for some submissions i didn't think anything was particularly oh my god she's gonna get her out of there like Volkanovski Ortega, I don't think that Valentina was ever in one of those submissions. But the fact is, she's on the defensive with Alexa on top of her and doing stuff and has her back and everything else. Made for quite the comeback for Alexa. We go to the scorecards and I'll say right now, me and a couple media members were saying Valentina three, you know, three two, right? Like yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I, I, I'll i say, after the fact, other people told me, oh, I had that Alexa, and it's like, wait, what? And so, and I watched it back on TV also. So I, I will say, going in, I was very, or going out of that, I was like, all right, Valentina. And then the scorecards get read, and that's a whole other story, but what were your thoughts on the fight? The fight was exciting. I was nervous, on the edge of my seat, of course, because I love Valentina, but also you know, have been a fan of Alexa Grasso for a long time. So, so rooting for both of them in a sense, but I wanted, let me put it this way. If Valentina had lost, I would have been happy for Alexa, but sad for Valentina. You know, I wouldn't have been mad about it, but in any case, the fight was exciting. You broke it down. Great. You know, Shevchenko was, was a little bit more vintage Shevchenko with her striking with that ferocity she was catching Grasso with some left hooks in the first round. Then she had to make adjustments, and it was the jab that she was using effectively. She kept going for the takedowns, and, you know, it was mostly effective. But that one in the fifth round, you know, she had the round in the bag. I really ag- agree with you there. And it was like a minute 30, a minute 45 left, and she went for that, like, headlock takedown. And I don't know why, man. She 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 just got nervous or she – overconfident I don't know what but it was sloppy it was careless obviously Grasso Grasso capitalized on that so I thought it was a good fight I had it Shevchenko won three and four and I didn't think five was enough for a oh let me put it this way I'll, I'll wait till we get to that part but I you know I wasn't entirely sure as soon as the round ended if that could have been a Grasso round, but then I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me recap what just happened. <laughs> okay, yeah, that, that's that's a Grasso round for sure. But um, I still fully expected Valentina Shevchenko to win. And um, was very confused by the result, man. Just just uh, not happy. I, Yeah, anyway, I'll toss it back to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let me get it. Obviously, you know... So you hear the score, and I I will say this, I kind of felt like, oh man, like, that's going to be the controversy, right? Like, they're going to give it to, at least in my mind, like, man, they're giving it to Alexa on Mexican Independence Day. That's what I thought too, I was like, oh man, they might give it to her, they might give it to her, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, all right, Alexa, Valentina, and then you hear, and the final score, 47-47, and so I, you know, because this is my job, there's no drama i could do math so it just takes me two seconds like wait ah and then it seems like the rest of the arena starts doing math and you realize what just happened and then 
Alexa retains the title, which I will say in a fight like that, I, I you know what, I, I'll say this, in the moment and watching this and maybe she feels differently um, today or whatever, there's a little gamesmanship, but Alexa kind of took it like, oh, well, I got the win. Right. It wasn't quite exactly that, right? But at the same time, I also, you know, feel like I get what she was doing. Like, I'm not a judge. I fought my heart out. I tumbled her. I had, uh, I'll say this. Alexa came closer to finishing Valentina in that fight than Valentina Alexa. That's the fair. second round with yeah. the knockdown. And then those were some heavy knees. Dude, couple, they were crippling. A couple other girls might have, you know keeled over and th that might have been a wrap the fifth round i already said it i thought that was some other refs might have finished that uh, valentina was taking some pretty authoritative unanswered shots there mm -hmm. so i don't know maybe she felt that way i don't think it was a quote slap in the face kind of deal i just think alexa felt confident it's like you know what i'm not a judge but i felt like i won the fight mm -hmm. okay valentina obviously felt a certain way the very controversial round, so Mike Breen, who scored that last round at 10-8, which is what led to the, uh, to the, uh, sorry, the Mike Bell, Mike led Bell. to the draw. But I'm trying to check the other, who had the other one, who had the other scores for Valentina Alexa. Yeah, so one ref had the first, third, and fourth for Valentina. Uh, the other ref had, uh, hold on. I know. Wait, why is this not reading? Oh, yeah, there we go. The last one had it two, four, and five for Alexa. Uh -huh. So that's how we ended up with our draw. Um, on Mike Bell's scorecard, he did give those three rounds to Valentina. So had it not been a 10 8, that would have been a Valentina victory. So my point of that, if you follow me, and I know that was a little confusing because I was reading the score, sorry. The 10-8 round is what cost Valentina the victory because she was given on two judges' scorecards three rounds to two to Alexa. Um, look, so I've heard this. I think there's something that fans don't realize is that in a lot of cases, a lot of officials, they aren't paid. Like, look, Herb Dean makes gets money for appearances. Because he brings a level of, um, you know, you know, Herb Dean is a top level ref. So if a promotion brings him in, you know, this is a big fight. Right. The judges don't have that um, luxury, you know, that no one pays extra money to have, you know, Sal Diamato come in and judge your fight. Gotcha. And so... From what we've heard with commissions and, you know, I'll say, I'll admit this secondhand from like guys like Eric Helwani, when they inquire, they are told like, you know, these guys don't make that much money, you know, essentially, we're not going to throw them under the bus to come out and make appearances and do this because they already, you know, like they already don't make that much money. Now you want the public of MMA fans to be mad at them and know what they look like and know what they sound like <laughs> and Okay, do I think there should be some kind of written statement via the Nevada Athletic Commission on the 10-8? This one I'd say, yeah. Now, mind you, this is by far not the only one. There are a bunch of judging calls that I think we should have something. But the fact is, that was a controversial call in my opinion. I think everyone unanimously says so. Once again, four minutes of control... To one minute of domination, that's not a 10-8. I'm sorry. Right, exactly. Had it been one-way traffic, I would have said 10-7. For sure. It wasn't. It wasn't. And and so here we are. We have a split, or sorry, majority draw or split draw, whatever. Um, Any thoughts, anything you want to say about the fact that we did get a draw? Uh, I thought it was wrong. I didn't... Uh, and and um, unfair... BS. <laughs> I'm just not happy with the draw. I also was a little confused. It's just because it's so rare. A little confused why you still get to keep the belt if you don't win the fight. Um, 
And I and I wasn't sure, you know, you were alluding to was that gamesmanship from Grasso. I wasn't sure if she was just not understanding what the draw meant or if she was just kind of like, nah, <laughs> you know, like you said, I, I, uh, I won. But when they put the belt around her, I mean, even DC had to remind her, like, it was a draw, right? <laughs> yeah, awkward. Um, so, look... I don't know which, I didn't see her post fight. So I don't know if anyone asked, like, do you, are you aware that this is a tie? You didn't win. Um, I'm sure she is fully aware now, but. She just kind of said, it's like, well, I mean, I did this, I did that. Yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm not a judge. It's her thing. She was like, I, I you know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so like, I'm I, not the one who scored it a draw. They did. You know, right, I right. went out there and gave it everything. Okay. Yeah. I think it's weird that you still get to keep the belt, but. Um, that's like the one luxury of being a champion in the fight because remember it's a I heard this term used it's an old wives tale you need to quote defeat the you have to take it from the champion you know Uh, and it's like guys there's no hidden rule there's no fine print that says if you're champion you automatically get like three extra points so you have to dominate to take the but no the judge, the fights is scored exactly the same as every other fight, prelim, main card, backup, whatever, postlim. You know, every round is scored evenly. One, ten points or less. Ten points to the winner, nine or less for the loser. And round two, ten to the winner, nine to the, or less to the loser. All of this, you know. So. Y- this idea like, oh, you have to take it, you have to do that. It's like, no, the only thing about being a champion is in the event of a draw, technically it's a lateral move, so they don't vacate the title. They don't give the other girl the title. It's a lateral move. It's a draw. So the one who went in the champion leaves the champion because they were not defeated. So they do not lose the belt. So that's just it. Now, mind you, maybe it's like the NFL. The NFL finally, after like the biggest, most epic playoff game that ended with the the coin toss. So the first Mm -hmm. team got to possession and they had the rule for a long time that like in overtime, if you win the coin toss and you score, that's it. The other team doesn't get a chance to, you know, match you. Yeah. Maybe that's something that promotions can explore in the event of a draw in a title fight. They vacate the title. I don't know. And maybe for business, they don't want that. Because they're like, well, no, we want to be able to sell a champion, not a vacant title. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, that's my one thing about the rule about the draw and all that. The champion doesn't have to be dominated. You just have to win a fight. Take the belt. Don't. There's no hidden rule that says there's extra points or extra leeway. The score doesn't change just because they're a champion. It's 10 points or 9 or less, you know? Yeah. Um, we now have a situation. Aaron Blanchfield obviously beat uh, Tyler Santos. Then Manon Fior obviously beat Rose Namajunas. Neck and neck for the title shot. Aaron Blanchfield, I, I'll tell you right now. I got the impression she wanted to make it a secret she was in Vegas. People told me they saw her on Friday morning around the UFC already in Vegas. However, at the time, she was promoting her stuff that was airing on ESPN. So there was a part of me that wondered, were they trying to make it a surprise? Oh, wow, Aaron Blanchfield made it. And Alexa Valentina wins. Let's bring in Aaron to do the face-off. I don't know if there was a little bit of that. And when you got a draw, something happened. But, you know, they they have to call an audible and be like, well, we can't do a face-off right now, right? Yeah. Because it's awkward. But I got the feeling that, like, okay, they were trying to set up a big dramatic reveal and we got a draw, so that ended it. But I got the feeling, all right, you've you've said it, Aaron Blanchfield's the one. We were talking on last week's show, feels like on meritocracy, maybe should go to Manon, just on the name value and everything else, and beating Rose Namajunas and slightly longer win streak in UFC, but... It's kind of hard to deny the hype of Aaron Blanchfield. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I mean, you got to, you know, read the read the leaves. And, um, you know, 
merit isn't always the determining factor or the main determining factor. We've seen it time and time again. Aaron Blanchfield is the name that pops more despite Manon's win over Rose. But it wasn't like, you know, if Manon had had just knocked her out, first round, head kick, punch, whatever, or finished her in some way, okay, then the momentum could shift a little bit more in her direction. But it wasn't, the win didn't do enough for her to um, retain or to, to um, pass up Aaron Blanchfield, who was already a little bit in the lead anyway for that spot. I'm glad that, um, well, no, let me back up. I wouldn't have liked to have seen Aaron in the cage for, to do a face-off. Like, you can't overuse that. It's got to be a face-off when it's an opponent that you already have beef with or that is, you know, making waves for some other reason. But just because you're next in line doesn't mean you get to jump in there and, you know, do a face-off. Like, it's it's got to be hyped up. There's got to be a good reason for it. You know, O'Malley, Eljo with, with Marab in the middle there, um, Dracus and, and Adesanya, you know, even though it didn't pan out, but like, these are the recent ones that like had a lot of energy behind them. Blanchfield, Shevchenko would have been like, whatever. Um, and then if, if, um, actually Blanchfield, Grosso would have been like, whatever. If Shevchenko had won, I don't know if they would have pulled her in because then it's like, wait a minute, do you want a rubber match here? Because, they, you know, they're one and one. So that would have kind of been hanging in the air. And then if they brought Blanchfield in, people would have been either pissed because they're not going to get to see that third fight or, you know, underwhelmed. So I'm glad it didn't happen, even though the reason it didn't happen is stupid. The draw. So one thing I would argue with that is that remember that at the UFC, it's about marketing and promoting as much as it is the fights, right? Mm-hmm. WWE is by far the leader of this in the business of sports entertainment. Um, selling the next one and building the next one and doing all these little things, right? <clears throat> For crying out loud, you go through essentially a boot camp before you ever make it to TV, learning about how to sell yourself as a personality. Um, which we'll get into, but I think that could be good for UFC. Um, my thing with Erin is that, you know, she's 24, I think, 25 uh, at the most. Next big thing, on a great win streak, on a roll. The UFC wants new stars. And I think that it is a very easy sell to say, next big thing. And I think that by having Erin do the face-off with Alexa or Valentina, you would have been like, if you weren't paying attention, suddenly on a big night after the title fight on free TV or, you know, the subscription to ESPN Plus, you like, wait, who's this girl? And now you're paying attention. Now you, uh, you know, you acknowledge this person is a big deal. And essentially the promotion puts over Aaron and kind of, Tells the fans, guys, pay attention. This girl is a big deal. More than just, okay, she won her fight the way every week someone wins fights, right? Every week there's an event. People win, people lose. No, you are acknowledging this girl's a big deal. And that's part of doing the face-off. Even though, I, I agree with you, there wasn't this big bad blood with her and Alexa or Valentina. Yeah. But that's just my trying to think as a marketing from a marketing standpoint why it would have been good um i'll, I'll tell you right now i want to see alexa versus aaron then valentina versus manon same card wherever they do it next year early next year or even well i doubt december but yeah let's go early next year i think that that's the perfect way to split everything all roads lead to big fights you could go you know obviously if both of them win Alexa Valentina trilogy, you could go Aaron Valentina, you could go Alexa Manone, um, you know, Aaron Manone, who should have gotten the title shot, now we get to fight for all the marbles, I think it would be great. So I think that that's the best way to split it. The trilogy is almost like always there, so even if they both lose, you could still always run it back. I will tell you, in this scenario, I personally don't want to see a trilogy I get why they kind of did it with Brandon and Davison with three and four fights. 
I don't think that these two need it. I want to see some other stuff. I want to see some big fights and competitive. I always say it. I want to see how far people can take it. And now that Alexa, all right, you know, two fights where you didn't lose uh-huh. to Valentina. She did not yeah. beat Valentina the second time. It's a draw. All right, let's see how far you could take this. Because my final note on the fight, I thought that we saw a Alexa Grasso who has matured into an elite fighter. Yeah. And for Valentina, didn't look like she was off the, you know, over the hill or anything by any means. But possibly, hey, does the Valentina three years ago go to a draw with Alexa? Maybe not. And it's like, so did it feel like maybe age and experience starting to meet in the middle for those two? A little bit. But I will tell you, Alexa looked far better last night or Saturday night than she did in March. And I think that that is huge because I want to see how far that Alexa can take it against people who are not Valentina. And I think that that's very exciting for the flyweight division. And more big fights for Valentina. We could still get the smoke. It's all good. (laughs) <laughs> so I think that that's really where we're at with it. Valentina could move up to 35, but why not finish business at 25, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's going to take a while if they don't give her that that rubber match. So, uh, you know, I'm okay with, like, I get it. You kind of want to see them move on and then circle back to each other. But part of me also wants to just rip the Band-Aid off and get this over with like let's just see once and for all let's do it again and we already ripped the band-aid off that's why they fought on saturday (laughs) (laughs) i want to rip it off it was a draw i mean it's like you know but but if you do the math you know grosso won and then she got a draw shevchenko you know is is a win and a draw basically two wins i mean (laughs) i don't know is that enough to say grosso is better than shevchenko i don't think so and like part of me is not ex- necessarily excited about seeing them fight again soon, but like I said, I want to just also get it over with and 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 move on with it. I want to see, really, I want to see Shevchenko get the belt back, man. <laughs> as much as I love Grasso, fair enough. Um, but if she goes to one thirty-five, I don't know. At thirty-five years old, is it like is moving as a female moving to one thirty-five at thirty-six, or presumably years old at that point? sort of like the 40-year-olds at heavyweight where you can still find success because everyone moves a little bit slower and is bigger and stronger. I don't know. I mean, it just depends. How do you see this Valentina moving up stylistically, matching up with uh, Raquel or Juliana Pena, right? Yeah, I mean, striking-wise, she can own Pena and probably, you know, at least hold her down on the ground again, even though Pena's bigger. I mean, respectfully, we got to look at ages, right? I mean, everyone's older, so technically speaking, shouldn't they be a little, quote, slower and all that, too? Heck, heck yeah. Heck yeah. So, yeah, I get what you're saying, though. I don't know. I just, I don't know that this propels Valentina to 35. I think had she won, maybe, but now it's like, well, let me just finish the board. Let me finish the mission. So yeah, Exactly. Um, obviously some good stuff on the undercard. I think that the Hispanics uh, just had that stat. It was like five and one. They had overall a really good night or five and two. Um, Mexicans or Mexican-Americans on the night just did fantastic. Um, five and two, yeah. Uh, what were your thoughts on the, the themed event? Because obviously, and we talked about this, it was not the most stacked card of contenders, even right. for like a fight night, like you could argue that UFC Paris and Singapore were a little more stacked. This one, a lot of up and comers, um, but they really sold it on like the pageantry. There's so much. Uh, I'll tell you, the T-Mobile, they had like the graphics all had like the Aztec pattern and all yeah. this behind them. Fans were into it. I saw a lot of Mexico national team jerseys. Yeah. The very cool baseball Noche UFC green jersey. Um, just sombreros and flags. It was very much um, a branded night. What were your thoughts on just the delivery of it overall? I thought it was very fun. 
they went all in on like Mexico. It's like they went to Party City and they were like, get every Mexican thing you can and put it in the room. And, you know, it wasn't just tasteful. You know, it wasn't like, I didn't feel that they overdid it, but it was on the borderline of like overdoing it <laughs> with all the, uh, I don't know what you call it, transitional uh, videos or shoulder programming or whatever. Like, yeah. you know, they'd feature Yair Rodriguez. Okay, Brandon Moreno, that's cool. They were, I think there was even one for like Chavez, like Julio Cesar Chavez. Like, it's cool, but it felt like they put everything they had into this one night. Um, and I get it. It's the first time. It's a big deal. It's Mexican Independence Day. They got the the T-Mobile out right out from under Canelo's hands, you know? And yep. um, so it was just a little bit close to being overdone, but I, I respect the effort. I like the way they were cutting to the Spanish commentary. It kind of reminded me of WrestleMania, you know, when they show you the different teams from each country. Yeah. Um, I even saw people in luchador masks. Like, yeah, it was, it was like a, not like a Halloween party, right? But everyone was going to represent in their gear, whatever, like that Mexican gear that they like to wear is. I like that. I love the music that they were, you know, cutting, using to transition in and out of um, fights. That was awesome. So generally, I really enjoyed it. Again, on the edge of being too much, but but not quite. I'll tell you right now, even in the media room, they gave us some Selena, like, Nice. Or the house DJ, and it's like, <laughs> oh, we're we're doing that tonight, huh? Oh my God. Um, you know what? Uh, so, like I just said, was it the most stacked event? No, objectively speaking, you know. And I, I also we talked about this. They weren't at Apex, and they weren't even at a little venue. They were at Las Vegas T-Mobile, where they're most likely going to have three hundred, where they have International Fight Week where they had the return of John Jones. This is a big deal arena to UFC. And so I do appreciate that they were trying to, you know, from top to bottom, really sell you on this. You're at a special event. Um, I will say I thought that they did a good job of that. I actually think everyone's sense of humor is what put it together. Mm -hmm. Yes, the fighters delivered um, in big fights, even the ones that lost. I mean, there were some great performances from the people who beat the Mexicans and Mexican-Americans, and you just have to show respect. Everyone came out to bring it to that night, and it was great. But like DC and Brandon Moreno, and, you know, they had their little interaction, and Brandon was like, I was nervous, you know, English is my second language, and DC is like, yeah, you need to go back over there, because we can't have you stealing our jobs now, too, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was hilarious. I thought that it was, was great. Um, uh, I think earlier in the night, they were saying, it's like, are we allowed to say Viva Mexico? And DC was like, I can tell you that the Spanish commentary team has already done that, like, four times tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it was great fun. It yeah. was good. I thought I appreciated it. Um, I think that if you were to try to do this next week, wouldn't work, you know, it's like, all right, now we're just, now we're just trying to sell everything as it's a special holiday, right? But yeah. I think because it's the first one and because they did it, it was done well. As far as annual events, I don't know. I think now that it comes down to timing and all this other stuff, but the execution on Saturday... I'll give it an A. I thought it all came together. Overall, just well done. Nice. Yeah. So, and like I said earlier at the top of the show, it did feel quite like a pay-per-view and it did feel like a big event. It didn't feel like, you know, this was kind of stitched together, even though I think I counted like six or seven uh, injuries and reschedules and readjustments with opponents because fighters got injured. So I acknowledge this one did... Need a couple bandages to get to fight night. There you go. Uh, UFC officially, I mean, I don't know if you saw the graphic with like the giant WWE and UFC belt in front of the brave little girl statue. In front I did of... see that. <laughs> Bruh, I saw that and I was like, why did they not do a whole press event? I would have had my selfie in front of those things yesterday. It looks so cool. And UFC announces it officially. They are with the TKO group with WWE. 
now under the same umbrella now own essentially endeavor owns them both and has packaged them under one whole little umbrella over there under their larger enterprise and so one yes it's a big deal it made for some really epic photo ops you have vince you have dana white you got triple h who runs wwe right now all of it was a big deal what does this mean for the future i don't think they actually know or or really have a concrete idea yet they know it is a big deal and i think what that means is like all right are we about to see fighters wrestling and wrestlers fighting most likely not i'm sure some people are going to throw that out there because they want to try it but i don't think that's the plan what i will say is that i think the plan is that now you have these two superpowers on the one hand it's a little bit like disney plus right disney owns marvel disney owns pixar disney owns lucasfilm aka the star wars franchise yeah. All of those things, ha- while you can enjoy them all objectively, you know, as one person, those all have their individual fan base, but they're all packaged under one umbrella. You have to imagine that is a part of the TKO group's plan. Could we find some way to really, in the age of the streaming wars, package this so that we can make profit off of it? You have two superpowers in sports entertainment. And we can charge admission to watch these events every week. You gotta think that's gotta be, even if it feels a little pie in the sky, part of their plan. Now, UFC is with ESPN till 2025. I don't know all about WWE, where they expire on everything, but I do know they're on USA, they're on Fox, they're on Peacock. I think that there's some web exclusives too somewhere. They have multiple broadcast deals. So are we about to get that in 2024 all in one streamer? No. But I put it out there. That could be a long-term plan if this keeps going. Then the other thing I heard, the the possibility, kind of like a super weekend, UFC pay-per-view on Saturday, WWE with a big pay-per-view on Sunday, probably same city, same weekend kind of deal. That feels very possible too. That's just about schedule and timing, which you got to think they should be able to work together and pull that off somewhere. So I think all of that makes for some excitement. What were your thoughts? My first thought was that I didn't like the um, the logo. That was kind of cheesy. Um, it leaned more towards WWE vibe uh, than UFC, which by comparison is like the classy, the classy brand, <laughs> even though it's pure violence. Uh, but to your first point about the giant belts, I also thought that was really awesome. I my, I always think about like who the heck makes giant belts, you know? <laughs> where do you go to get those things? Um, but they were freaking awesome. Where do they? Where are they now that they've had their um, their big day at Wall Street? Like where do you store those things? I, I would like to see them somewhere. Is all I'm saying. But in any case. Uh, I was taking paying attention to, to different things that maybe aren't you know typical. Dana White was dressed in all black, and everyone else had their brightly colored suits on and big smiles. And Dana White looked like he was going to a funeral. And I wonder if that's just you know how Dana White wears a suit these days. You know, sometimes he wears a white collared button-up shirt, or if that was just his way of saying like. I'm here. I'm not thrilled about this, but I, you know, I'm I'm whatever about this. I'm here because I have to be here. I wasn't sure. I'm still not sure how he totally feels about it. You know, I don't think he'll ever be fully honest. I did appreciate his honesty regarding uh, Lawrence Epstein's comments. You know, where he was like, "That's so stupid. Uh, WWE fans are not going to become UFC fans, and vice versa. That's not a an expectation or or a goal." And I agree. And when I read that first quote initially I was like this is weird like it, it just doesn't make sense like let's stop trying to force these two guys to be friends they can be under the same umbrella company but you know we don't have to take you know group pictures at the mall together like let's let's keep them separate and and they can meet up whenever it makes sense 
as far as the TV deals go, what I wouldn't want to see for UFC is to see them spread out all over the way WWE, WWE is. Now, I don't watch wrestling anymore, um, and so I don't know what it what it feels like to have to go from Peacock to Fox to USA just to watch everything. It's not dissimilar from NFL, um, where depending on what game you want to watch, you have to pick a channel, right? CBS, ESPN, whatever it is, or NBA. So not a big deal, but I'm used to my UFC being in one or two very specific places, and that's where I want to keep it. Um, you know, in general, though, it's, let me let me hold on. Let me just continue on the slightly negative track. Here's another thing I don't want to see: if UFC and WWE are doing the Saturday Sunday combo, which you know is just something fun to consider. We don't know if that's actually going to happen. I don't want to see a bunch of like WWE dudes sitting in the crowd of a of a UFC fight like they're cool guys, and and you know getting the time on the big screen, unless they're The Rock or I don't know, The Undertaker. That would be kind of awesome to see him there. Um, but whatever. I don't know who the big names are in WWE these days. Um, in general, Double G, I just don't want it to be heavy-handed and, and forced down our throats. I'd like these two guys to stay in their own rivers as much as possible and merge when it's thoughtfully done and you know, with, with great purpose. I'll leave it at that. So I'll go back to my example of Disney Plus. It's like you have all these super brands. They never try to do something silly like have Star Wars characters in Marvel or vice versa. So I just kind of see it as there's no reason why you can't package these two together and not just and not simply just let them continue to operate independently. Now, if I see the WWE guys after a fight, someone gets knocked out and they ask them, you know, hey, John Cena, what do you think of that? Oh, man, it's going to be awesome. And then John Cena's opponent is on the other side of the interview and said, yeah, John, something similar is going to happen to you next week when we met. Well, you know, they always I notice this when I've seen WWE and it makes me cringe. But I understand that's part of the junk food element of it. It's like, yeah, John, that's going to happen to you when I fight you next week at wrestlemania 32 in philadelphia like it's like it's like uh, on pay-per-view yes it's like that oh my gosh there's like some movies that like will mess with that it's like you could tell it's like they're almost deliberately dropping an ad in the script Mm -hmm. um but that's my point uh do i want to see that man that better be very sparingly because then it just becomes the gratuitous uh cameo by the wwe guys and same for ufc i'm sure there's going to be some incidents where like the ufc guy comes in to help out a wwe guy to sell something like i said sparingly too much of a good thing is a thing don't that's what i want yeah well dc loves wwe right like that's his jam so i mean he didn't like charlie campbell just butchering the rocks whole i don't know if you saw the clip but it made for like you could tell he was trying to like say the rocks thing, but he said it with ten percent of the rocks charisma, uh-huh. and DC kind of like recognized it and was like, "Bro, don't don't do that again." <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it would, it, yeah, you get what I mean. Now, uh-huh. can I tell you something positive about the TKO stuff? So, sure. obviously, this is announced during the week. I get to the event on, you know, we do weigh-ins and we're outside the T-Mobile on Friday. And I kid you not, I saw a couple fans wearing uh, TKO t-shirts already. Oh, man. And I got some inside scoop. There was some swag, you know, to some people that had been given out. But there were no shirts made. And when I asked them, they said, honestly... I think the TKO shirts that you've seen on people floating around this weekend, those were actually already made by the fans who saw the logo and were very excited about it. Wow. I know. And and I kid you not. Uh, now, mind you, it, they all kind of walked together, which made me think, you know, it's like they made three and all, th- all three yeah. of them wear it. But the fact is, there are fans already super excited about this because they love UFC and love WWE Anytime you have something like that for fans that's clicking like that, 
you got to acknowledge it's probably going to be a big deal. So I wanted to say that. I was like, dude, like, I don't even think there's a TKO website or merch on the websites yet. And they're already making t-shirts. And fans <laughs> are already wearing them to events. That's funny, dude. That's how cool it is. So I want to acknowledge that part of everything for sure. Um, Next bit of news. Kayla Harrison is back. She will be fighting... Former Bellator champion Julia Budd at the PFL Championships on November 24th in Washington, D.C. You'll remember they were set to fight last year, but an injury took Budd out of the fight. I think it was like the second fight of regular season. Not a playoff bout, if I'm not mistaken. Look, Kayla has not fought since losing in the championships last year to Larissa Pacheco. Um, I have not heard yet whether or not they're actually going to make the championships this year pay-per-view but you'll remember they obviously said that like kayla is going to be pay-per-view exclusive Mm -hmm. like jake like francis and so whether or not she actually you know is you know fighting at this one and it's free tv that is uncertain but if it is a pay-per-view event low-key it kind of makes sense right it's a pay-per-view kayla harrison's gonna fight I don't know that yet. Maybe they haven't announced it. Maybe they are waiting to announce whether or not this will have a paywall. But I acknowledge that part of it. And yeah, I mean... F- sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Hey, I'm happy to see this fight. This will be interesting. It's a good challenge for, for Kayla. And um, also for Julia. But, you know, coming off that big loss, we want to see how Kayla looks. Yeah. As far as the pay-per-view goes, it wouldn't be her as the headliner... What no, is... she's a featured bout in the because okay. uh, the, all the championship fights. Gotcha. Okay. And I... then um, one thing to acknowledge: her contract still ends at the end of this year, and you know we will talk about the future in our next segment. But you got to remember, since her last free agency, I think it's there's more. What's a what's the right word I'm looking for? There is more mystery rather than facts that we have about what the future would be for Kayla outside of PFL. Bellator, whether or not it gets folded or folded into PFL, we don't know yet. Um, For sure. Now there's conflicting reports. We'll get into that in a few minutes. Um, UFC, there's been zero commitment to the featherweight division. If I'm not mistaken, I think featherweight is actually still on their website. It's just blank. It doesn't even have a champion anymore. It just sits there, women's featherweight. Jeez. Um, all of that is to say, I don't know that Kayla Harrison leaves and finds, you know, I don't know that there's a house for her anymore. Uh, women's bantamweight is, uh, yeah, at least on my phone, maybe check it on your computer. Yeah. Um, bantamweight is empty and there's not even a featherweight on the website anymore. Let's see. So, but here's my point. Where does Kayla Harrison go that's not PFL? I don't know that there is a place anymore. And maybe that's very different from six months ago, but that's the reality we're living in. So, Kayla Harrison, we know she wants to fight. We know there's a little... She hasn't said anything. No one said anything. Clearly, there's been some kind of business... uh, There's something going on in the paperwork behind the scenes. Why isn't she fighting... Why haven't they offered her a fight? She said she wanted to go back into the tournament. Um, If I had to guess, Natalie, I think that they paid big money for Kayla Harrison. And I think that her on pay-per-view actually costs them less than having to fulfill her contract for four or five fights in the year. And I think that's why she didn't make it into the tournament. That's me theorizing there's no evidence to that but if i have to figure out why would you pay so much for kayla and then not have her fight all year that's the only answer i have for you Hmm. um have you been able to see the rankings page yet yes i'm here and um they're on the website on through my pc or my mac laptop on browser yeah yeah thank you there's no women's featherweight um, anymore headline at all or header at all yep so if you're Kayla and you're a free agent, where are you going? Yeah, you're know. going nowhere. You're stuck there. You're stuck there. Yeah, so, and mind you, now now we have some awkwardness because it's like, well, 
Are we as excited about big contracts this time as we were last time after, you know, you heard it and you heard Kayla kind of say the whole, it kind of felt like she knew she wanted out when she wasn't getting fights this year, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about this. Yeah. Now it's like, well, you were talking all that trash and it's like, oh gosh. Business-wise, there's more questions. Competitively, all right, this is a great veteran for Kayla to bounce back against. It's great for Julia's career and a great opportunity for her, mind you. So all of it comes together very well. I think, though, it's really about next year being a seminal one for PFL, Nganu, Jake Paul, pay-per-views, Saudi Arabia money. All of that makes for, you know, where is this girl going to end up? Because two years ago, she was the centerpiece of PFL. Now, it kind of feels like they've moved on, both of them, from each other. Going into what could be the biggest year ever in terms of competitiveness in the leagues. So, that makes for a very interesting uh, backdrop for what will be another good fight, so... Who wins, who loses, we could get into that in November, but as of right here in September, I'm like, man, this uh, this just got interesting. And oh, those yeah. are my thoughts. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, and it, it, you know, opens a lot of, it begs a lot of questions, and things are still up in the air, right? I mean, this is, look, uh, UFC was never a real, a truly viable home for Kayla Harrison anyway, even with just Nunes, because it was the same thing for Cyborg, and and even for Nunes, it was just like okay, you beat the biggest name there, which was either at the time Cyborg or Nunes, um, and then what? And Nunes hardly fought. That division was never baked past three people. Like it was never fully cooked. Before they removed the heading from the rankings page, it was just her face. No other name below. So I don't want to act like, you know, because they took that division away when Nunez retired that there goes a, a really viable option for Kayla Harrison. But it is definitely the nail in the UFC or the nail in the coffin for any chance of Kayla Harrison ever going to the UFC. Um, the last nail. There were already other nails in that coffin. Um, and so PFL is still the best option unless you know, that other thing happens with Bellator. Yeah, fair enough. Um, it, it just, it, it's just kind of like, I know how excited we were about Kayla going into last year's championships. Mm-hmm. So I do find it very perplexing, very mind boggling that somehow things didn't get done for her to be able to compete until this time this year. Yeah, it's crazy. Especially with her enthusiasm to fight and that's why you know going back to my speculation there's got to be something that pfl is just like we just can't pay it and we have this and you know i think if i had to put my finger on it pfl completely planned to be on pay-per-view earlier this year and kayla harrison's contract was predicated on that and when they didn't it would have meant having to renegotiate a lot of things and remember They've spent a lot of money since they re-signed her. Uh-huh. They committed to Jake Paul. They committed to Francis. Um, Cedric Dumbe. Uh, all, all of this stuff going on. All of that is money that, you know, now it's like, well, how do we restructure Kayla's whole contract? Was she going to get pay-per-view points? Because it sure sounded like it. Uh-huh. I'll tell you what, two years ago when she re-signed... I bet you she got pay-per-view points because you didn't have Jake. You didn't have Francis. So I bet you that was in the contract. Now, how do you account for that in the paperwork when she's on free TV? I think all of that has to be what's going on. What else could it be? Yeah. I don't think it's a avoiding matchups or anything like that. But, you know, here we are. So that that's where I'm at with that. And I'm sure we'll get more answers eventually, just not today. Um, uh, to talk about the Bellator of it all, Bellator out of left field announces Bellator 301 in November also. 
<laughs> and I actually, it is not the same night, right? It's a different one. November 17th. November 17th, the week before. So going back to Chicago, um, let's just say it bluntly. Natalie, we thought it was going to be it about a month from now. Less. In San Diego. Bellator 300. All roads in here, you know? Something like that. Yep, yep. <laughs> and instead, Bellator out of nowhere, 301, two title fights. You have Yaroslav Amosov against Jason Jackson. Uh, the Bantamweight, not a unifier, but champion Sergio Pettis taking on Grand Prix winner Patchy Mix. And then, not for nothing, AJ McKee's coming back. He's taking on, oh my god, I just blanked on it. I wrote Sydney Outlaw, who was also in the Grand Prix. Uh, Sydney lost his fight. AJ had to pull out in July because of um, staph infection. And then, oh yeah, not for nothing, Patricky Pitbull, Alexander Shebley, the Grand Prix semifinal. What? <laughs> Bellator? And, and now, so, here, okay. Good fights. Big news. Now let's talk about the elephant in the room. Someone did put it out there. I'm going to say it right now. No one bid on it, so I don't put a lot of weight into it. Someone put it out there who I guess has a legit um, outlet. The talks between Bellator and PFL were dead. Bellator shutting it down. Whoa. No one else picked up on that. I don't know how much to read into that. Other people came out to say, um, it's a done deal. They'll announce it soon. So it's like, well, it's one or the other, right? Either they're doing it or they're not. There's no in between on something like this. So what exactly is happening? I don't know. Here's what I will acknowledge. In doing one more event in November, every champion, at least on that side, every champion besides Vadim and uh, Patricio Pitbull, who has a spine injury, will have competed at least one more time for Bellator now. Johnny Eblen fights this week. All the other champions fight between now and then, um, besides Vadim and Patricio. I told you this. I would hate to think that We've already seen the last fight for Bellator, for Patchy and Sergio and these yeah. guys who built it. They now get that night. Um, so I do acknowledge this. I think on a business side, you fulfill everyone's last night and you get to have a victory lap after the big 300th event. What are your thoughts? I, you took the words out of my mouth. I, I thought the same thing. I was like, this, well, first of all, my first thought was, this is just a uh, posturing. It's not going to happen. But then I was like, wait a minute. These are all title fights. This is just to resolve the title fights, right? To, to get them all one last, you know, run around the, uh, the corral there. So you nailed it. That, that's, that's exactly what it is. And then after that, after November, they can give us the big Christmas present or New Year's present and say, guess what? We're merging. And now all these big names from Bellatar are going to be part of the PFL landscape. And we're going to have a really good, um, really great matchups coming your way, both in the, um, what do they call it? Just regular fighting. I can't speak. <laughs> so tournament and non-tournament bouts, right? It's going to be amazing. So I think that's what's happening. They want to just square up all the champs and then move on. What I don't like, and this is the neurotic uh, person in me, is that it would have been nice to just finish it all at 300. They could have crammed all these fights in. That would have been better because 301 is just like, eh, it's just like hanging off the edge there. It's, um, it just doesn't feel right, the number. <laughs> but that's just me being silly. Yeah, to me, it just, um, I, I, I kind of thought it was going to be 300. It kind of felt like all the writings on the wall. I like this for a lot of reasons. Most importantly, you get one more night. I bet you everyone who isn't fighting, who is under contract with Bellator, who maybe doesn't know anything yet, is probably thinking, uh, can I get on that card? Make it a 20-fight card. Start it at freaking 3 p.m., yep. 2 p.m. Let everybody get another payday from Bellator. You know, every everything must go. Give it, You know, let everyone make money. Yep. And, um liquidation sale let's exactly. go exactly and we talked about this like okay they're gonna absorb into pfl that changes pfl's entire business you go from having arguably the smallest roster of the north american leagues to the second biggest right mm -hmm. that changes 
everything about free agency for UFC fighters who are coming over or won championship. It used to be, you know, big fish, small pond in PFL in the tournaments. Now, you add all the Bellator people, that's a completely different ballgame now, right? Yeah. Secondly, they don't have all of these weight classes. There's no Bantamweight in PFL. There's no women's flyweight at PFL. And so with respect to some of these uh, contenders, maybe PFL, you're not in their plans. Because I'll be honest, when you talk about this, are they going to absorb them? Are they not? I think that is a big part of why we haven't heard anything yet. Because I think there's got to be a serious evaluation. Do you have a spot for a lot of these contracts? And then secondly, like Ryan Bader. Great run, still got gas in the tank. If you're saying he's a big part of the price tag, absorbing a contract like his, I mean... You know, now you've got to ask yourself, like, all right, at this stage of the game, what are our plans for Ryan Bader? AJ McKee, Usman Nurmagomedov, that's different. Freaking 30 and 26, so much upside. Yes, those contracts are just undeniably valuable. Right. But a lot of these veterans, now you're asking, well, are we buying Bellator because we want to make sure you're under, you're with us next year? All of that has to be evaluated. Um, you talk about the contenders. I use her just as an example, but like Sumiko Inaba, flyweight, early in her career, I think less than five fights, maybe six right now, max. And it's like, okay, you know, your weight class isn't even in PFL. You were clearly signed as part of the developmental plan for Bellator, which is fine. But now going into PFL, maybe they don't have the same kind of plans for you. So if they buy out the company, where do you go from there? All of that is up there. So going back to the meat and potatoes of this, I want all of those kinds of fighters to get to compete. Because when you signed with Bellator, it was with Bellator's plans. You get one more night to kind of cash in on it and show your skills on a big stage. Let's go. Yeah. So, anyway, long-winded, but I think I made, I got my point across. You did, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk, obviously, about this Saturday. Uh, it's very hard. I mean, UFC has been on the road for like six, seven weeks. Even back to Vegas, they didn't go back to Apex. They went back to that T-Mobile arena for everything we talked about at the top of the show. This is the first Apex card in a minute, and I'm not going to lie... Even emotionally, I'm like, oh, we're actually at a, quote, little one right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, Mateusz Gamrat, Rafael Fiziev, amazing striker, uh, talented veteran, great matchup overall. Both guys clearly trying to break into that top four, top five of the UFC lightweight rankings, which is very hard to do. I mean, you're talking about some killers and big names at the top of this. One thing I, I do feel a little, uh, I guess here's my X factor. Gamrot showed such amazing grappling defensively, but also he was getting after it too against Sarukian. Mm -hmm. And yet when he fought Dariush, I felt like the grappling was non-existent. And, or, and maybe that's testament to Dariush. But when I see that, I'm like, if you use your grappling against Fiziev, this is a different fight. If you just try to get after Fiziev on the feet, more or less, for 25 minutes, that's a different ballgame. Because Fiziev might be the best just striker right now at 155. Yeah. So my question about all this is just, w does Gamrot use his grappling a lot? If he does, I think that his pure physicality could really slow down a guy like Fiziev. Fiziev can win a 25-minute on the feet. He could catch Gamrod early. He's got that kind of speed, that kind of power, that kind of precision. It makes for a very fun fight. What about you? It is a fun fight. Um, that was my first thought. I was like, okay, these guys are going to get after it. You know, especially Fazeev, the way he, he his striking, yeah, his kicks, though. They just shoot from the hip. There's no read. Oh, sorry, no tell. He's a very exciting fighter to watch. The, the kind of fighter I like to see in there. Always pushing forward always throwing punches or kicks and, and has power and speed. So 
I like his odds here in this matchup. Yes, Gamrot should try to use his grappling more. Um, I have a feeling he's going to sort of push it to the limit, you know, like see what he can see how it goes standing up. And then when he eats enough kicks to the body, doesn't like it, then he'll go in for the takedown. Um, ultimately, though, I think Fazeev's going to do a good enough job to keep himself separated. And I think that was a five-rounder. I think Fazeev can fi- Oh, man, Gamrot, that seems like a tough dude to finish. Has he ever been finished? I don't even know. I feel like it's been a minute for Gamrot. It's been a minute. And he I was think- on, like, a good run going into that main event with Sarukian. Yeah. That feels like it was a really long time ago, too, though. Um, well, it was, yeah. Uh, Fazeev, I think I'm going to pick him to win. I think TKO round four. Oof. You know what? I like it. I really do. I really do. But I just... Uh, you know what? I like Gamrot. I think that... Uh, <laughs> That's my dude. You know, he's he wears the glasses. He's Clark Kent all week. And then freaking gets out in the cage. He's Jack dude. Freaking turns into Superman. And it's like, yeah. let's go, dude. <sighs> I got Fazir 2 round 3. Speed okay. on him. I, I just... I feel like Fazir's got... A, his whole camp has been so ready to grapple with Gamrot. And I, I just... Had he gotten after the takedowns a little more, I, I would have seen it. I also feel like he didn't really try to grapple um, Jalen Turner earlier this year. Maybe I'm remembering that fight incorrectly, and if I am, I'm sorry. But it's like, I think that if Gamrot wants to stand with Fiziev, I just see that being more difficult. So, yeah, I'm going to go Fiziev round three. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna I like go from it. there. But yeah, um... Natalie, this is officially last week of summer. We're officially in the fall. So is this our... Okay, there's like winter vacation, right? There's Labor Day weekend. What is... Is there a fall vacation? It's well, like a fall break. Is Thanksgiving, I guess? Well, because like, like TV has a winter break. So let's be real. Everyone goes on vacation all summer. They come back in the fall. But the fact is, next Saturday, fall break... No UFC, no Bellator, no PFL, um, no major MMA. So, you know, we're going to take, you know, we'll be back. We'll definitely see if we recap everything. But, yeah, no major MMA after an insane run. Just what are your feelings on that? You know, I'm okay with it. It is what it is. We've had an insane run, as you said. So sometimes it's good to take a little bit of a breather. There's other stuff going on, other sports, so I'm okay with it. But, you know, I'm looking forward to the the next injection of MMA. You know what? Yeah, it's kind of like it's been such a run that it's like, all right, you know, let's regroup, let's get ready, and we'll go from there in in October. It's set for a great fall. I mean, obviously, back-to-back Abu Dhabi, New York. Francis Ngannou, Tyson Fury. So it's like, dude, yeah, I think we could take a week off. It gives us time to plan and prep for what's coming next. So it's been a good summer, but uh, I think we're about to end the year with the bang. So I'm ready for it. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. Remember, like, comment, subscribe. We'll be back. Till then, have a good one. <laughs>